0: Welcome to the new england football show i'm john serenitas and i'm here with my partners kevin stone and adam kirchen gentlemen how are you this evening
1: doing good john doing good how are you guys
0: doing doing well doing well doing well hanging in there football season is here fellas is, and, and and it seems like we've been waiting for this week to come but obviously we got a little bit of a taste of it this past weekend with some of the uh division one programs around the country kicking off and all college programs are going to kick off in earnest this week of course Last night, you also had the Patriots' last preseason game uh, against the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're also going to get into the Mac versus Cam quarterback controversy for the last time this preseason, thankfully, although I think we all can agree it's going to carry on into the season. We'll talk about that and and Belichick's comments after the game. And we're going to try to um, touch on every Division I program in the region, and how many games we think that they're going to win this season. So that's what's on tap for tonight. As always, uh, we want you guys involved. So get involved. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Jump in. Give us your comments. Share your thoughts, your opinions, your takes, anything. We're here for the fan. We're here for the New England football fan. That's why we do this. So we want you involved. We want you to be a big part of this show. The New England football show is your show. And so our goal is to interact with you and talk football. So let's just jump right into it. Patriots beat the New York Giants last night, 22 to 20 in the final preseason game of the year. I was there. It was kind of a last minute decision. I was in Philadelphia for the weekend and me and my buddy decided to just go on the way home. Um, Great stadium, by the way. Huge. It's cavernous. Um, It was a funny game to me. And I don't know what you guys thought. I, I, I thought that. You know, Patriots defensively got off to a really good start. They dominated those those joint practices as well defensively last week, so it didn't surprise me that they were able to carry that over. Um, they got off to a strong start defensively. The ones played mostly the first quarter, and then it was a steady stream of the twos, and then eventually the twos and threes play the rest of the game. Uh, Mac Jones, I thought was was good. You know, I mean, he he got off to a slow start, struggled a little bit with his pocket management and taking sacks. Offensive line obviously could have done a better job, but he really played well in the second half tail into the first half and into the second half, I thought. Uh, you know, Cam, the only highlight really for Cam was the interception he threw on the ball that Myers should have caught, although it was a bad read and a bad decision. But just your overall thoughts on last night's game and and does it mean anything that they went undefeated in the preseason?
2: No, it doesn't mean anything. It's still good, I guess. Um I don't know. It seems like their defense is kind of rounding into form, which is what everybody thought. You know, I don't think, I don't think you look at any huge surprise coming out of last night. I think it was, it was as expected kind of, you know, the defense looked good, uh, offense sort of puttered around a little bit. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, all things being equal, they're, they're ready for the start of the season. I don't think another preseason game would help, you know, if, uh, if they still had it the old schedule, I think they're kind of ready to go.
0: It is nice, by the way, before Kevin jumps in, I do want to say, it is nice that it's three. You know, I thought that four was too much. You're playing a month worth of football games, and and, and, at no level of football do you scrimmage more than three times, and especially in high school. So the idea that they were playing four preseason games was dumb. I'm glad it's three. I'm glad it's over. Go ahead, Stone. Uh,
1: No, I agree. And um, I loved the 6 o'clock kickoff too, by the way. That was – that game was over by nine. I
0: saw your tweet. I mean, I, I didn't know that you were thirty-four, going on seventy-four. What you needed to be in bed by nine thirty after you had milk and cookies, like?
1: Well, I do have milk and cookies every night, but uh, this no. is be
0: the same guy, by the way, who stays up until three in the morning writing pieces. So all that, of a sudden, you like the six o'clock kickoff. I mean, come no,
1: on, man. exactly. I, I was able to get uh, stuff done by about one a.m. this time, but uh, no, Adam, Adam pretty much hit everything. Uh, it was a good night just to kind of to get out of there. Like you, you got out of there healthy. Um, which is the most important thing at that point but um, no I mean I think it's at the point where and I know we're going to talk about the quarterbacks but well Cam's a starter and it's pretty clear that Mac is not far behind um, I think the leash is short so um, he's he's not ready ready but um, if they need to put him in I think he's good to go so um, defensively I can't wait to watch them their front seven is so fun to watch um, and Judon is just he's he's as advertised man he's he's a beast.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think that the the biggest story going into the regular season obviously is going to be Cam versus Mac. I I tend to agree. Cam's going to start. There's no mystery here. Belichick last night wouldn't commit to either guy. He's not going to do that two weeks before kickoff. He, He wants Brian Flores and his staff to have to think about it, to have to prepare for both guys. And they're going to do that. Now, the thing is, they're also going to have the extra week to do that. So it's not like the old format where you're playing a week, week and a half later after the last preseason game, you're gonna have more time now to prepare if you're an opponent. That being said, look, you know, when you look at Cam Newton last night, he played. I know there was some talk he might not play, he did not play well. The picky throws on the ball to Myers down the scene that wasn't that was a terrible decision, but Myers should have caught the ball. He didn't. The throw was actually not bad considering he threw it into double coverage, the decision very bad. That being said. I do think Cam did enough this preseason to be the guy. One of the things that I think, and you guys will agree with me, and I think this is what's going to make tomorrow so hard for them, is that they have a lot of depth at certain positions, and we saw them use some of that depth last week with the trade of Sony Michelle. Of course, he traded Michelle to the LA Rams for a for a fifth or sixth round pick, or it could end up being a fourth round pick based on on. Uh, playing time and whatnot, although that that was also tied to the comp- compensatory round, and I don't think you can trade compensatory picks because they're not set. Now, that being said, I do think you could see them make a couple of trades tomorrow because they do have quality depth a lot at a lot of positions on the offensive line, the defensive line. They could capitalize on that and move a couple of guys and add more draft capital. But I did find it interesting last night that, you know, I, I there was some speculation Newton wasn't going to play, especially in light of what happened last week with with, with COVID. But he does play. He didn't play great. Mack got off to a slow start, I thought. The offensive line let him down on a couple of those plays. But then all of a sudden the kid responds. And that's what you love to see about him. And I tend to agree with you, Kevin. I There isn't really a gap there. I think that Newton is going to start because he has one inherent advantage here, and that's experience. And I think Belichick is going to roll with him, but then it's going to be interesting to see how long he goes with him. If he's playing well, then he's probably going to go with him for the year. If he's hot and cold, you could see a change at some point. If he's struggling, I think by week five, Mac Jones is your starter. But we're going to be talking about this throughout the rest of the season, obviously, because it's going to be a topic of conversation week in and week out. Now, obviously, the Patriots have to get down to 53 tomorrow. As I mentioned, they've got a lot of depth that. At some of these positions. So they're going to have to move a couple of these guys because if they don't, they're going to make some hard decisions. So, what we're going to do here now is we're going to give you something that looks like our projected 53 man roster, but we're not going to do it the traditional way. We're going to just say, look, we know that, you know, we think they're going to carry this many quarterbacks, this many backs, receivers, tight ends, blah, blah, blah. You get the drift. And as always, feel free to join the conversation. Again, we're live on Facebook and Twitter, uh, jump in, chat with us, share your thoughts, uh, your opinions, ask any questions you might have. We want you to engage with us. All right, let's start with the quarterback position, fellas. Obviously, I think it's safe to say, and if you disagree with me, feel free to tell me, I think they're going to carry three quarterbacks. I think you have to with the expanded schedule and COVID. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, and I also think having Hoyer – as sort of like a player coach type with Jones in the building is like, if they didn't have Jones, you know, he becomes a little bit more expendable, but I feel like Hoyer is like one of these guys who knows the offense so well that can sit on the sideline and talk to Jones as everything's happening and, you know, just be there as a resource. I think that's what, you know, sort of Hoyer's kind of role is at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, you saw it last night, even Um, late in the game, it was Hoyer Jones and, And Josh McDaniel is on the bench. And, you know, I know Cam doesn't have to be sitting there. But, um, no, I mean, Adam, you're right. He's basically a coach for for Mac Jones right now. So, um, yeah, definitely three.
0: All right, so that's three. So that means we have 50 spots left. Running back's going to be interesting here. Now, you remove Michelle from the equation. So that obviously creates more opportunity for a guy like a Brandon Bolden. But I think it's safe to say if you count Jakob Johnson, they're going to carry – they're probably going to carry five running backs, and they can carry Bolden with five because he can kind of slot into a special teams role, but it, do you do you think they're going to carry five running backs? Why or why not? I don't.
1: Um, I, I don't. Well, first of all, J.J. Taylor has to be on this team, right, at this point?
0: I, mean, I agree wholeheartedly.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, so I, I just don't know how you keep Bolden around. I, I think we need the spots for, and I know we're going to get to it, you need cornerback, you need – there's other spots that I think you need more than Brandon Bolden on this team. So um, he's the only one in the running back room that I'm not sure is still here.
2: I can see that. I think everybody always sort of wants to get rid of Bolden, but the way I see it is he's, he's very important as much as almost anyone on that team when it comes to setting the tone about um, playing special teams and taking pride in that and just, just using that role uh, in a in a sort of leadership position, you know, he's, he's he he and guys like Slater are always sort of the guys that bring the younger guys along and say, hey, on this team, special teams is as important as, as offense and defense, and so that sort of culture building, if you will, uh, matters for him, and I think he stays on the team, but but again, I think you make a great point, Adam.
0: I think that's a, that's a great point because you're right. Bill values special teams in terms of the construction of the roster, probably more than any other coach in the league. And and I'm not saying that other coaches around the league don't value special teams. What I'm saying is, is that Bill values special team players. He's willing to compensate them as being an important part of the team. It is a third of the game. As you said, Adam, in that building, the belief is that it's just as important as offense or defense and, and, You've seen that to be the case because Belichick has paid guys accordingly. Now, this is a tough spot here, but I'm going to throw this out there, and I'm not trying to be controversial or or trying to be a hot taker here. I could see them holding on to a guy like Bolden, and I can see them moving on from a guy like James White. Is that, is that something that you could see happening? Because here's the thing, and this is why I say and then you can tell me what you think. If you go back and watch last night, they used Ramondre Stevenson a lot in the passing game. They split him out. They put him out there. A couple, I shouldn't say a lot. They put him out there a couple of times. They put Taylor a bunch of times out there in their formations. So what that tells me is, is that they believe that those guys can play in multiple personnel groupings and line up in different spots and formations. If that's the case, then what do you need James White for? That's what he does for you.
1: Yeah. So, no, I I completely agree. Um, I actually thought that kind of earlier this year, the only reason I don't think it happens is um, Belichick talked so highly of him, uh, probably about three or four weeks ago now. Um, He even said, you know, if I go to James White for an honest assessment about something with this team, I know I'll get an answer out of him or, you know, I'll get an honest answer out of him. I can't imagine there's very many guys that he goes to for that assessment. Um, So if he's that much you know in bills um i guess i guess i can't imagine he gets cut but skill wise yeah i could easily see that happening
2: yeah i agree just um in terms of i don't know what what he has left but again i haven't seen the team as much this year but i just feel like any one of those running backs you know um it's it's just a tough room to get through in terms of cuts like cuts trades whatever it's hard and and I would think James White still have at least some value if they wanted to trade him or something like that. But, um, yeah, that is, that is sort of a a long shot, but I think it's, it's more, you know, um, it's more likely to happen now than any other time in his career here for sure. I, I look, here's the thing. Yes. I think on paper, it's a long shot.
0: And, and, and I guess I would agree with you guys on that. Um, and yeah, you can't really quantify the leadership piece, the trust piece, the communication piece with the coach. I mean, that's very important. But I'm looking at it from the standpoint of you have a guy in Taylor who can do a lot of those things for you, a lot of those same things. I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised with what a Ramondre Stevenson can do for you in the passing game. You know, and 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 the guy that I was with last night says to me, Well, you know, do you think that they're gonna treat him like they did Damian Harris? Do you think that they're gonna they're gonna almost redshirt him and i said no i mean he's got five rushing touchdowns this preseason they're not redshirting the kid I yeah but i don't think they trade sony michelle if their plan was to to quote unquote redshirt stevenson why would you well, do that
1: no no i'm saying i think i think he led the nfl in the preseason in rushing is what i'm saying so no really no, no i'm
0: that. not i'm not yeah i'm not speaking yeah. to what you're saying i'm speaking yeah. to what my friend was saying but my yeah. point is i think when you look at james white in this situation if they value special teams as much as we think they do, he's not returning kicks for you. So if it comes down to Bolin versus White, well, you already have guys on your roster that can do what James White can do. And so do you then move him? I mean, remember, he he almost signed with Tampa this offseason. There was some mutual conversation there. He has value. He's a veteran. He's a guy that – can play in a third-down role and be an integral part of a team in that that regard. I know you'd be losing a locker room leader, but you're getting a cheaper version of what he can do in J.J. Taylor, and I think J.J. Taylor probably gives you a little bit more in the running game. All right, wide receiver, obviously it's a position of consternation around here. Uh, People get their dander up, in particular uh, Stone. Stone gets easily rattled by the, the wide receiver conversation. Now They cleared the room a little bit today. By cutting seventh-round pick Trey Nixon out of Central Florida, he's gone. Now it's interesting to me because I still think they're going to carry five receivers. It it's going to be interesting to see how they treat the Nikhil Harry situation because in many ways that's what we need to keep an eye on because you know your top three are Myers, Born, Aguilar. What do you do now with your fourth and fifth guy? So. We know that those three are a lock. Let's focus on the fourth and fifth guy. Who do you guys think that's going to be?
1: So I know it's not going to be Gunner. I don't think. Um, we just talked about J.J. Taylor. Look, he can be your punt returner. After that game Gunner had last night, he had the drops all week in practice. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone. Um you I know, and fun. I
0: wouldn't be surprised either. And you, it's funny with you and your predictions, by the way, oftentimes I'll look at them and I'll be like, this is, this is outlandish. I, I can't believe he thinks this. And then you hit on some of them and I'm like, holy crap. I, and I got to tell you, I could, this is one that I could see happening though. I, I think you might be onto something with that. I don't think he's a lock to make this team.
1: Well, it's funny too. Cause at the beginning of camp, he looked good the first couple of days. And I thought, Oh, you know, he might be another slot guy you can use, but, uh, man his drops were were just brutal this week in practice but um no i mean zubra had a good night last night and um but what is what are those guys what are, what are guys like him and and Wilkinson ultimately end up becoming it's usually just camp fodder so um i'd love to see Wilkerson make this team or zuber just one of those guys because i do think there's a speed element there but um i, I just don't know if either either one did enough
2: yeah, I don't know if any of those guys, once you get past the first three, are all that valuable anyway. It's almost like they could just yeah. they could pick any couple guys, and you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. You're probably not going to play much, you know. And if you play, we don't expect much out of you. So I just kind of think with the, with those guys, um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Chesky might be gone for sure. Um, curious to see what they do to kill Harry. You know. Um, at this point, like you, you were saying last week, John, kind of expect Harry to make the team, you know, yeah. just, just yeah. because of who's there. Who, who who are these guys? You know, how good are yeah. these guys? These guys are not very good, you know. So you get past that third guy, it's, you know, you just sort of you got guys there, but nothing special.
0: Yeah, I think yeah I'm think. i taking my chances with the first round pick in that situation. I'm yeah. I'm taking you know, Harry as much as he's struggled and as inconsistent as he's been. And as hard as it's been for him to stay on the field at times in his tenure here, I'm taking him over a Gunnar Olszewski, who I know they love because of his special teams value. I'm definitely taking him over a Wilkerson or a Zuber. So at this point, yeah, just, those guys are, are guys that are going to bounce around. I mean, they, 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 that's... That's kind of – not so much Zuber because he's a young player, but that's kind of been Wilkerson. So I, I think – I I wouldn't be surprised if they cut Gunnar Olszewski, but I still think they like him, and I still think that Belichick places a premium on having quality special teams, not only in terms of core special teams guys that can play in all of the different special teams, but he really values returners. And so, yeah, J.J. Taylor can do some of those things. I still think J.J. Taylor is better suited as a kickoff return man, I think Olshevsky's you want more of the receiver type on punt return. I think he's better as a punt returner. So I still think because of that, he has a good shot of making the team. But if I saw his name come across a waiver wire tonight or tomorrow morning, I wouldn't be like that painting and go, oh, I wouldn't be that surprised by it. I mean, again, the drops, and you saw it last night, Mac threw a perfect crossing route ball to him on that drag, and he drops it, just inexplicably drops it. I mean, that's what you want your quarterback to do on that route. You want him to lead the receiver. You want him to catch it in stride and get vertical. And he drops it. So yeah. I, I I think if he makes this team, it's because of the special teams value he brings to the table. It isn't going to be because of what he can do for them in their personnel groupings. Obviously a tight end, you got Hunter Henry, you got John Smith. They spent a lot of money this offseason to fortify that position. It's really about who the third guy is going to be. And, Contrary to what some of us thought, it's not going to be, you know, potential camp hero Troy Fumagalli. They got him a couple weeks ago. Uh, The the, uh, Kehaly-Warring era lasted all of, I think, um, 16 hours. Uh, So (laughs) it really comes down to Devin Asiasi, Matt Lacoste. Asiasi's had a pretty good summer. He had a COVID issue at the beginning of camp. He's come back. He's had a nice summer. Is it safe to say he's the
2: third tight end? I don't know. I want him to be just because I liked him coming out of the draft a few years ago. I thought he had a lot of potential as like a guy who works the seams and gets downfield. I thought he runs really well for a guy his size, but I don't know if they definitely want that out of that third guy. They could be saying, okay, we got, uh, you know, Jonah Smith. We got, um, you know, and um, and Hunter Henry, but, how about we get the third guy as sort of a blocking tight end? Which and is I, what they usually are. Right. So, I don't – I mean, I as- a fine blocker, but I don't know if they see him in that respect. But I, I would like to see it be Asiasi, but I, I, I sort of figure it's going to be like a, like a blocking specialist type guy.
1: Yeah, see, I think they need him as that third tight end. <clears throat> and it kind of goes back to – the receivers, I was just gonna say before we moved on, it's the worst position group on the team by far. So I think you saw last night, you know, he can kind of take a little pressure off those guys. Um, if he can be that pass catching threat. So I think they almost need him to be just as another option to catch a ball.
0: Yeah, you know, but but to Adam's point, typically that third tight end at every level of football really is yeah. a primarily a blocker. And he's a guy that you're going to use as a move tight end. You're going to move him around. You're going to use him in your short yardage and goal line packages. If you feel that you can gain an advantage in 13 personnel in either the running game or the passing game, you might use him. He's not a guy that'll play more than 10 to 12 snaps a game, maybe 15 tops, but typically that guy's a blocker. Now that's not Devin Asiasi. It's not to say he's a terrible blocker. Matt Lacoste is the better blocker. He fits that profile more, but I think if you're going to move on from Devin Asiasi, I think you got to trade him. I think you got to try to trade him and get something in return. I, I don't think you cut him because I think if you cut him, he's going to be a pretty popular target on the waiver wire because he's a guy that is only going into his second year. As Adam said, when he was at Michigan and then later at UCLA, he's a guy that – and you saw it last night. He made a great catch on that, on that circus catch where he got turned around on that throw by Jones. He made a great catch. That's the kind of player you could be getting if you hold on to him. And and I I, I kind of almost want to think outside the box here a little bit if I'm the Patriots. Me personally, I would keep Asiasi over Lacoste just because, yeah, you want that blocker at that position. But, man, if you can play in 13 personnel with those three guys on the field at times, you can take some of the pressure off that receiving core, which is really only three deep. And you can really get creative now with some of the things that you do in the passing game, especially if you're willing to get into into four wide formations or empty. You can really start to do some different things. So I would like to see them keep Asiasi. I think you could get something out of him this year. I think he can continue to develop. There's no pressure on him. He doesn't have to be the number one tight end. Those other two guys are going to be the ones that are going to get targets. So I'd like to see them keep Devin Asiasi. Now let's just do a running count real quick. And Stone, you're the math guy on this show. So I'm going to have you keep count here. So we've got three three quarterbacks, five running backs. So that gives us eight. We've got five receivers. So that gives us 13. So three tight ends. We're at 16 guys that have made this team. So let's go to the offensive line. Now, in theory especially with the expanded season you want to keep eight guys here if possible Uh, some teams are willing to roll the dice load up on the practice squad on the offensive line and only carry seven into a game this is why in this era of football the, the the swing guy if you will has become really important the swing tackle the swing guard because the swing guard can play center and guard swing tackle can play guard and tackle or both tackle spots in this case you've got a guy like ted karras who can play guard or center so we know who the starting five are going to be. Obviously, it's going to be on new Trent Brown, David Andrews, Shaq Mason, Isaiah Wynn. They're out of the conversation. Who are three other guys they keep on the offensive
1: line? Well, I think Kajustin and Herrera too, um, right off the bat. And they have to be just based on bodies, and it feels like they're always kind of running out of guys um, up front. So I think those two automatically, and then I guess the third one you can kind of uh, – I don't know. Those, those two definitely, though.
2: For I sure. Agree. I agree with you. Um, especially because when gets hurt a lot. <laughs> so you, you want as many tackles on the roster as you can get. I think Ference is another guy who's can bounce around between center and guard. He's like Karras that way.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think
2: he's got potentially, you know, down the road, could start somewhere, uh, if not here, you know? Yeah. Um, but I like Kajusa. Kajusa a lot liked a lot coming out of college. Um and he fought through injuries, obviously. He's, it seems like he's getting better fast. You know, and so to have a starting, you know, possible starting tackle that you have out there that can, can come back up some guys, I think, this is really important. You know, this you you want good depth. I think they have pretty good depth um on the offensive line. It seems to me that's the one position that they've drafted outstanding and you know and, and, and getting the uh you know uh, the uh, the uh free agents getting the free agents and stuff as well so I like uh I like what they have there and I think that if you if you pop in there uh you know maybe Ferentz and, um, and heron and Kajus, that'd be really good
0: where are my offensive line fans out there? Join the conversation, folks. Let's go. I don't know what you're doing. It's a Monday night. There's no football on. What are you watching, Raw? I mean, let's go. Come on, jump <laughs> in here. We're live on Facebook and Twitter, so join the conversation. Jump in. Share your thoughts. Should they carry seven offensive linemen? Should they carry eight? If you carry eight, got to subtract one from somewhere else. We shall see. I think to me, Karras is the sixth guy. He's the first one off the pine. And then that seventh spot is between Heron and Kajust, in my opinion. I think that those two guys probably are going to fight for the seventh spot. If they keep eight, I think it'll be those two. Ference is probably the other guy in the mix. I don't see, you know, Martin or Redmond or some of the veteran guys that they brought in having much of a shot of making the team. Um, you know, the Sherman, the kid they brought, they drafted out of Colorado. He's a possibility, but I think he's more of a practice squad guy. They're probably going to put him on the practice squad for the year so. Is there a scenario where they can carry eight? Yeah, and again, I think with the expanded season and COVID, you're probably going to need to carry eight. But if you carry eight, that means you're carrying one less somewhere else. All right, let's flip to the defense. Uh, Front seven, man, they got a lot of talent on this defensive line. If you were to combine the edge guys and the interior guys, they got a lot of talent. Obviously, they're going to carry Guy. They're going to carry Barmore. They're going to carry Anderson, right, in terms of interior guys and Godshow. They're going to carry those four guys, I think. And then when you think about edge guys, you're probably – obviously you're going to keep Judon, Uche. And then it comes down to what do you do if, if you're keeping those six guys, right, then what do you do with the with the remainder of the guys that are in the mix there? I think Ronnie Perkins is a lock to make this team. He'll probably be a big part of their special teams. He's also a guy that could potentially play off the ball for you as a walkaway linebacker depending on what you're in. So I think he makes a team. I think the name to watch here, obviously, is Chase Winovich. We've been talking about this all preseason. Does he stay or does he go? What happens with him? Do you think they cut him or do you
1: think they move him tomorrow? I think he's still here. Um, Look, it's so obvious that he's such a good pass rusher, man. If he can just stay out of the doghouse, he can definitely be a factor for them. And you mentioned the guys up front, too. You left out Carl Davis, um, and I am not a you know a guy who, who watches the line play a ton, but he stood out to me the entire preseason. I mean, he was in the backfield a ton, not so much last night. I don't think he played much uh, last night, but in that Philly game, he was back there a lot. So um, he's another guy up front that I think can be a factor. But in terms of Chase, man, I just I don't think they can give up on him just yet.
2: I, I'm inclined to uh, to agree with you there uh kevin just because i mean is is winovich good against the run of course not you know not he's somebody that if he stays on the team he comes in on third down you know third and seven whatever and gets after the quarterback and probably gets to him you know like he he's good at that and it's hard to find or it's not so much as hard to find it but it's it's really valuable if you, if that's your one skill, that's a good one to have. You know, it's he's, you know, he's he's able to get to the quarterback a lot. So I think they're going to try to make him work, um, in that position, and, and see if see if he can be a sub package guy.
1: And, and real quick too, if this secondary doesn't have Gilmore, you need all the pass rushes you can get. You know, just to kind of limit right. the time that that they're you know in coverage. So. Um, I, I just think you need the, the extra rusher there too.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's 50-50 with him. I, I could very easily see him out the door tomorrow. I, I don't think – I like Chase Winovich a lot. I've met him. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's a terrific talent. I just don't think it's a scheme fit here. If I were them, I'd move on. I, I don't see – if you're not going to allow him to play a standard five technique in your sub fronts, and your sub-packages, if you're going to ask him to do different things, to move around a lot, to line up in different places, if you're going to ask him to be a run player first and you're not just going to cut him loose, then I think to me he needs to go somewhere where he can play and be that guy and be productive. I'm not sure it's ever going to be in this system. And, and that's not. And I'm not saying that I'm giving up on the guy. I just don't see it. Carl Davis has had a nice camp, but I don't keep him over the guys you paid. I don't keep him over God Show. I don't keep him over Henry Anderson, who I think provides you with a lot of flexibility. Belichick in that defense likes guys that can play the five and the three, that he can that he can move around in fronts. That's why I love Lawrence Guy, and I think Henry Anderson provides that same type of value in terms of alignment. I think those are guys that are going to make this team. I'd be shocked if they got him. I know his name's been bandied about, but I, I keep him over a guy like Carl Davis because the thing is, I think Davis – can be a good player for them, but I think you can get more out of him as a shade in a 40 front, whereas a guy like Anderson could do some different things for you. But I think the story here is going to be what do they do with Winovich? What do you do with him? Do you keep him? Do you trade him or do you cut him? I, I don't see them cutting him. I think if he's not here, I think it's because they moved him. And, and I'm going to tell you, fellas, and I think you'll agree with me on this. I think that if they do put him out on the market tomorrow, they're going to get multiple offers for him. Oh, I think teams yeah. are oh, going to be interested in
2: acquiring him. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, a guy that gets to the quarterback that much. I mean, anywhere, it's like a good three-point shooter in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, I I, I agree,
0: and that's a great comp, him. I think that there's a ton of value. And, again, it's not to say that he can't be that player here. He absolutely can. I mean, I think you you got three Chase Winovich fans here, even me, and I'm a, a diehard Ohio State Buckeyes fan. I have been since I was a kid. I despise Michigan. But you have three fans of the guy here. I just think at the end of the day, if the scheme fits not working, then it might be time to move on. What do you folks think out there? Do you think it's time to move on from Chase Winovich? Let us know your thoughts. Jump in, join us on Facebook and Twitter. All right, linebacker. Obviously, this linebacking core a lot more talented than what they had last year. And and the way you know that's the case is look at the camp Jawan Bentley's had. He's had a terrific camp. You know why? Because he doesn't have to be the man in that group anymore. He can just be one of the guys. Obviously, Hightower makes a team. Van Noy makes a team. Bentley makes a team. Where do you go from there? I mean, this is an area where they could, they're probably going to carry five guys, but I would imagine that a lot of what they're going to do is they're probably going to want to carry more guys up front. But those guys are three locks. Is there anyone else that you think makes this
1: team? Well, you left out Uche. I don't know how he did that. He's been an Well, I didn't leave out Uche.
0: I included him with the edge guys.
1: Oh, that's, that's fair enough. Um, he's been unbelievable, though. But um, you mentioned Perkins. He's, I, I think he's had a phenomenal camp. Um, I've been impressed with Hightower. You know, he doesn't look like he's missed a beat. Um, and yeah, again, I'm not surprised been, by that. No, and again, it's been in limited, you know, a limited um, capacity, but um, he's looked good too. So, um, look, we said it earlier, the front seven as a whole is going to be just really, really fun to watch.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, a guy that I've always kind of liked and has sort of felt like is a good Patriots fit is uh is Longy. I don't know if he makes the team. Yeah, but I've always kind of liked him. It seems like he's a versatile guy. Seems like a guy who contributed on special teams. Uh, I just think that room is a little too loaded right now for him to make it. But I would, I'd love to see him because I think he would have a good career. He obviously, had the accident uh, a few years ago, but um, but yeah, he's he's somebody that I think could grow into a pretty good football player for them
1: he's a perfect practice
2: squad candidate, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you can get him on there. I mean, I think he's
0: a guy yeah. that has a tremendous amount of special teams value and he's a rotation guy who could possibly put play for you a little bit in your sub packages and be a backup. So I think if you cut him, he'll latch on somewhere else. But I mean, he's probably the one guy that has a shot. Um, you know, I was Therese Hall's on PUP. So he's not a guy that counts. Um, I'll look, I think I think that as long as you have those three starting and the way they play defense and what they do with their fronts, where they play a lot of 20 fronts, 30 fronts, 40 fronts, and they move guys around, it's really about how you want to use those three. There isn't a lot there in terms of room to make the team. So you're going to have to have special teams value if you're the fourth or fifth linebacker on this team to make the team. All right, let's move on to the secondary for our final look at the roster. Of course, the Patriots do trade for rookie Sean Wade last week. They acquired him from the Baltimore Ravens, which was a terrific pickup. If somehow Belichick can get out of this kid what he was in 2019, they got themselves a hell of a player. It's He's a ways away from that. He had a, he struggled last year, but if they could find a way to get that player out of him, that they, they, they got a good one. Um, the thinned corner, obviously, J.C. Jackson. I think Jawan Williams makes his team. I think Wade makes his team. I'd be surprised if they cut him. Uh, and, and after what they gave up for him, um, Jonathan Jones makes his team. But we still don't know what's going to happen with Gilmore, whether or not he's going to be ready for the season opener or not, or, or not? what are they going to do with his contract. Now, when you look at the safety position, obviously you carry Phillips, you carry Duggar, you carry McCordy. Who are some guys that are going to have to fight and scrap to get into that
2: rotation? So I don't know what Go ahead. Uh, I was thinking, of Jawan Williams. I mean, um, yeah. I never thought, even even in the draft, I was like, this guy's not very athletic. He he's not as he's
0: last night.
2: Yeah, but yeah. He, he just not a speed guy. Um, you know, but I think he's he he knows the system well. I think at this point, point. I think he's a decent enough player. But I think he'd be a candidate to to not make the team for
1: sure. Yeah, I was going to say, George Watt-Williams, I don't think he's here. Um, but just as a whole, in the secondary, it's, it, aside from the receivers, it, it's by far the worst position group on the team. So they desperately need Gilmore you back. You really
0: think it's the –
1: really? Yeah, yeah. With I think all, all the good. talent
0: you have back there, when you, you you have a guy in McCourty who I think when he's done playing, he'll be in the conversation as a possible Hall fan candidate down the oh. road. He's still playing at a high level at free safety. I mean, I know you're not counting Gilmore in this yeah. equation, but yeah. J.C. Jackson could He's potentially gonna... break the bank. He's going to get number one corner money in the market next offseason if they don't re-up him. He's hey, him. Jonathan Jones, well, then just just hear me out. Jonathan Jones yeah. has been a very good sub-package player for them for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I get that they're a little weak at the other corner, and I know you guys don't love Joe Jawan uh, Williams, but I, I just – Really? You think they're that bad? Because I don't, especially when when they get into those three safety looks with Phillips and Duggar, and, and, and then they can use those two guys with McCordy. I mean, that, that's a pretty damn good secondary.
1: So I might have been a little strong, but I don't think so – You're, you're we, like a couple
0: of Starbucks. You were way too strong.
1: So safety, you know, in the back end, I think they're fine. It's cornerbacks it's that I'm really worried about. I just don't think I, – I don't think they're as deep as people think. JC Jackson, yeah, he's had a hell of a camp. Is he really ready to be your number one though? Like that's your question. JC Jackson? Have. Yeah, Absolutely. A... Jack. He's
0: been he's been one of the best corners in the league statistically the last
1: two years. Well, well, now without Gilmore. Wait, and, gonna... and
0: I thought I I thought I educated you on this a couple weeks ago. The okay. idea of a number one corner is stupid.
1: Well. It,
0: it, unless you plan on saying, you know what, we're gonna play and they do play a lot of man coverage, we're gonna mm-hmm. play a bunch of man coverage this week, and we're gonna put him on said player then I guess by definition that's your quote number one corner. But I do think that the guy has proven the last couple years that he
1: can be that player, man. He really can. I want to see a little more. But in general, I I don't know about either of you, but the Adrian Colbert cut today at safety, I was kind of surprised by it Um, just because, again, I think you need some bodies back there. But, um, no, I'm I'm just not as high on that, that secondary as some people are.
0: Well, it's abundantly obvious, and I think, you know, and the other guy, of course, that we didn't mention is Jalen Mills. You just gave him a bunch of money this offseason, and he's a guy that really is that X factor. You know, when you he's a guy that can play corner for you. He can play safety for you. You can get into those three safety looks and play some big nickel. You could do a lot of different things with him. So you have a lot of depth back there, and I know that Mills hasn't popped in this camp. I know that I've talked to a lot of people that have said, you know what, he hasn't looked great considering the contract he got, but – Listen, you got to remember too. He's learning a new scheme. He's adjusting to a new a new team. People don't think that that matters with free agents in particular. It does. Whether you're a free agent or you get traded somewhere, there is an acclamation period. That's why you have camp. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's awfully strong. I mean, once you get once you get Gilmore back, I mean, I, this is a top five secondary in the league, man. I, I I just don't see how you could say. I think they're a top ten secondary in the league without him. Well, I really do, man.
1: I really do. Well, in terms of Gilmore, I don't think you're getting him back. I think he's out half the year. Um, but uh, And real quick, are we not doing the, the Quinn Nordine and, and Nick Folk discussion?
0: No, because I don't care. Nick Folk's oh. going to be the kicker. Stop jocking Quinn Nordine. He's gone. It's, it's over. Stop guess. sweating him. It's over. I would love Nick. to
2: see Nordine
1: make the team, but he won't. Belichick said this morning it's still a decision he has to make. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> yeah, Belichick right. is a lot of things he doesn't mean. Matt Curran jumps yes. in and joins the show the Green Glock Goblin. Thanks, Matt. And stop making fun of my microphones, Curran, all right? Get a life. All right, anyway. Uh, <laughs> a, thanks for joining us, Matt, though. In all seriousness, appreciate <laughs> you watching, man. Uh, listen, is this a conversation, Stone? Do we really need to – we're at 41 minutes here. Do we really need to dedicate time to, to Quinn, Flippin' Nordine? Just because you've been uh, sweating all about.
1: Based on the time, no. But if he if he makes
0: the team, I'm spending like an hour on it. Yeah, of Nick your own so. time. I'm not <laughs> I'm not dedicating an hour of our time to Quinn Nordine. Look, I don't have a problem with Quinn Nordine. I'm sure he's a great kid. He's a terrific kicker, like them in Michigan. Even though I hate the program, but the bottom line is, we're not dedicating an hour to kickers. Nick, folks, this team's kicker. Okay, I think we we need to move on from that conversation. Enough. All right, so. That's our shot at a 53-man roster. Stone, of course, sucks at math, so he didn't keep track of where we were in terms of the number of guys. Um, But we were somewhere around 53. But the bottom line is there was our shot at the 53-man roster. All right, let's shift gears here now for the last few minutes of the show talk a little bit about college football. Of course, the college football season kicks off this week. Our local Division I programs are all kicking off this week. Boston College is at home against Colgate. UMass is at Pitt uh unh has stony brook uconn played out at fresno state this past weekend um uh bryant is at uri and of course holy cross and maine will be in action as well but who they are playing escapes me right now i believe holy cross might be opening with uconn um but that being said just some overall thoughts here on the start of the college football season with the d1 programs let's start with the the FBS programs, real quick: BC, UMass, a little bit of UConn, uh, and then we'll get into the FCS programs. Uh, I think it's pretty fair to say, Eagles should have no problem taking care of business this week. Fair to say? Yeah,
1: well, oh, yeah. yeah. I-, I plan on being home by two thirty. Oh, that's yeah. a little That's strong. Three o'clock. Are you going to leave at halftime? You're, <laughs> you're in the meeting. I be able to. It's, it's no look. It's nice to be able to to be able to see them, you know, in action now and. And we've talked about the uh, the offense ad nauseum. Um, it'll be nice to see them actually go out and and execute and and hopefully do what they're supposed to do against Colgate.
2: It won't be hard. <laughs> I remember when uh, when BC played a couple of years ago. They played Holy Cross. It was a decent Holy Cross team. They blocked a couple of punts and stuff. But I mean, it was as easy as it gets for uh, for BC. I think that was, was was that that was Bob Chesney's first year. I think it was. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Holy Cross did battle hard, and they looked better in that game at points than some of the other teams that played them. But, um, but yeah, I think yeah, BC just get out of this with no injuries and you know get ready for that ACC schedule.
0: And Maine, by the way, hosts Delaware on Thursday night. That's a big game that's, for the Black Bears. That's a big game. Right fact, right right know, and the Black Bears right out of the gate. Uh, yeah. We'll see what Coach uh, Charlton's boys have in store for the Blue Hens, who are uh, one of the favorites in the CAA every year. Yeah, BC will take care of business against Colgate. That that shouldn't be a problem. I mean, look, when you look at the Eagles' schedule, the first three games, you got, you've got you got Colgate, UMass, Temple. In theory, on paper, they should start off 3-0. I think UMass and Temple will play them tougher than Colgate, obviously, um, but certainly the schedule sets up for them to get off to a good start. UMass travels to Pitt. Pat Narduzzi did a lot, uh, or he did his best effort today to to tell us that, you know what, look, the Minutemen have a lot of transfers that have come in from different parts of the country, different schools. They're going to be much improved. I think they're going to be much improved beyond the transfers. I just think it's year three in Walt Bell's system. I think they, they are more talented. I think the numbers are up. They're going to be better. But are they going to be good enough
2: to go into Heinz Field to knock off the Panthers? I doubt it. I do think, though, they will look – more competitive and more like a D1 football team, 1A football team, than they have in, you know, Walt Bell's tenure. I think, you know, Pittsburgh's a good team. They've posted some nice wins over the years. Yeah, they got Kenny Pickett they, pick it back at quarterback. They're going to be yeah. tough. Yeah, and a, a couple of years ago they beat um, Clemson. Uh, I think it was maybe four or five years ago. But um, Pittsburgh's a good program. They're in a good area for D1 talent. Um so Pittsburgh should win this game, and they probably will. But I think if you're a UMass fan from this game, you walk—you'll walk away from this game saying, "Okay, we're a little bit closer. We're not there yet, but we're closer." Um, I just got—I have a pretty decent uh, feeling about this UMass game.
1: Yeah, I think you hit it right in the head. I mean, do they have a shot at winning? Probably not. But I think it looks better. And and right now, again, we've talked about it. It's about the baby steps for them and. Um, I think they get two wins this year, and uh, I think Vegas had them at one and a half. So um, again, thanks, it's,
0: thanks for ruining the last segment. I'm glad you were paying attention in <laughs> pre-show conversation. Whatever,
1: yeah. um, whatever. But no, it's again, it's it's baby steps for them, and um, hopefully, it just looks better this weekend against Pitt.
0: I think it will look better, and I tend to agree with Adam. Now, the, the baby steps thing, I don't buy. I, you need to be better. There is no baby steps oh, yeah. in college football. It's it's a business, and and Coach Bell knows that, and he talked about that with us over the spring. I mean, he recognizes that there needs to be marked improvement this season. And he, in his own words, he said, if we don't get better, I won't be around. So he knows that. Uh, do I think they win this game? No. Do I think that they can be competitive? Yes. I'm curious to see what Tyler Lytle looks like. I'm excited about him. I like their skill group. I really like their receiving core. I like what they have there. They have a lot of talent there. And I like the blend of size and speed that they have there. If, if they can protect Lytle – They can make some big plays in the passing game. you got Alice Merriweather back at running back. I think he could could have a pretty good year for them. They'll be better. But, again, are they going to be good enough to go in there and pull off the upset? I don't think so, but stranger things have happened. Some of the other games in the area that I mentioned earlier, of course, um, Holy Cross, UConn, Bryant travels to URI, UNH, Stony Brook, Maine, Delaware, just to get on that Maine, Delaware game real quick. This is a big game for the Black Bears. They open their season at home against a, a tough conference opponent in Delaware, a program that's perennially one of the favorites in the CAA. Joe Fagnano and the Black Bears. Look, Andre Miller, really good on offense. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to be young in spots on defense, but this is a team that I think can surprise people. I think the same can be said for URI. I, you know, we've talked about URI on the program in the last couple of weeks and how impressive they look and how impressed we are at the job that Jim Fleming and his staff have done at bringing in the kind of talent that they brought in. You look at that two-headed monster, quarterback with Robinson and, and Hill, uh, Kevin Brown at running back. I think that the Rams are going to get off to a pretty good start. The Rams, to me, and I'm not speaking in hyperbole here, I really believe, even though everybody is picking James Madison to win the CAA, and it's, just, it's usually Madison and Delaware and Villanova at the top, I think the Rams could beat at least one of
2: those three teams and make it interesting in the CAA this year? Oh, 100%. Uh, I've told you guys this before, but um, not this year, but a couple years. Like in 2019, I went to the URI camp. It was like a satellite camp for Michigan too. And I was so impressed with the talent on hand. And then, you know, I also saw URI play Harvard a few years ago. And URI beat them. And I was like – how are some of these guys not at 1A programs?
0: It's amazing, like, isn't
2: it? They've done a really good job of upgrading the talent there at URI to the point where I think that game with UMass is going to be competitive. It's going to be know. very competitive. Kasim Hill's a guy who started, what,
0: 10 games for Maryland? I mean, yeah. this is a guy, right, he played, transferred to Tennessee, then then here. Like, this 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 is a guy who's a legit big-time talent, and then, and then Pop Robinson, their other quarterback, I mean, he's 6'3", 6'4", really good athlete, could really throw the ball. Like, they have a lot of talent there. And, and, and Kevin Brown, to me, is going to be the X factor for them at running back. But yeah. I think if their defense – and they have talent on that side of the ball as well. But if their defense can play competitive football with the skill that they have on offense, I think the Rams are going to be pretty good. Kevin, obviously, you, you've spent a fair amount of time covering Holy Cross. Crusaders coming off winning their second straight Patriot League title. A big one this week, Bob Chesney's never shied away from, from playing better competition. Crusaders, preseason favorite once again to win the Patriot League. Can they pull off the upset? Can they win this week?
1: Uh, no, but I think it's extremely competitive. Um, look, I know we're, we're all high on, on Holy Cross and, and what Chesney's doing, and I think Sluka is just going to be even better than, than he was last year. He was a freshman last year. And he came in, hit the ground running in a COVID year, um, and looked really good doing it. So um, he's got a full camp under his belt. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for Holy Cross. To be honest, I think they're going to be really, really good this year.
0: Yeah, wow. I think that they. I agree, and I, and I think that's the thing, right? For a program like that, it's been about consistency, and we're going to get into our over under how many wins are going to have. Uh, but I think Bob Chesney's the right guy to have this program in a place where they're consistently competitive. Year in and year out, they're competing for Patriot League titles, complete, competing to, to make the FCS playoffs. I think this is a program that, that's only going to get better, and you're, you're seeing it. I mean, they're recruiting better and better talent. He's the right guy for that job, and, and, and I think the Crusaders are a team that it, it is a team that could legitimately once again be one of the best in this region, and I don't think a lot of people are going to argue that with you. Uh, UConn. Obviously, I mean they get they get stormed out in Fresno State, forty five up, and of course they didn't play in twenty twenty. So last time they played in twenty nineteen, program's in tough shape. The program's in really tough shape, and, and I, look, they're young. They've had, they add an influx of transfers. They've taken advantage of the transfer portal. That's a young program. Of course, Kevin Menta, local product, is their starting running back. They've got some talent there, but what is going on with that program? And, and Adam, I want to start with you. Can Randy Edson get this thing going or is he not the guy?
2: I always worry about people going back to the guy who was good for you before <laughs> and saying like and he'll go somewhere else and not do so well, and then he comes back and says, Hey, I'm back. <laughs> I always worry about that. That never seems to work. You know, um, yeah, they're I don't they're kind of directionless right now. They're you know, the way I look at that team, I say, where's their, what's their identity? Right. Do they have an identity? Do they have a type of kid that usually goes to that program that is still going there and doing well? Recruiting-wise, are they, are, are they going after the right kids? And I just don't see anything out of this, this sort of regime where I say, all right, they're, they're, they're getting things done. They're going the right direction. I, I just sort of don't see that at UConn right now.
0: No, and, and listen, Holy Cross is good enough that they can go down there this week and pull off the upset. And, and I mean, UConn is, is a program right now that, that's in a bad place. And, well, like I said, while the, the talent is there, I, I just think, you know, they've, they're, they've gone independent now. Their schedule has holes in it. Like there's games here they can win. They in theory they should win this week. In theory that they, they should beat UMass, right? In theory, I'm not saying they're going to. I'm not saying they should, but in theory, they should, right? But the truth of the matter is you just don't know what this program. I mean, they're all they are all over the place right now. And and I think they're a prime example, and, and this is why you could see them potentially get knocked off this week. They're a prime example of why you needed to play last year. You needed to play. Even even if you did what UMass did and you played four games, you needed to play. It's so important. And, and I think that they dropped the ball to me there not playing, not at least trying to give it a shot. Even if they did what you did, which is UMass said, listen, we're not playing. And then middle of September they announced that they're playing. And at the end of the day, it was the right decision. It was the right move. But I just think to me it's, it's – talk about – Directionless, like what direction is that program going in right now? And Adam, I think you bring up a great point. You go back to the other guy, that's never good. You go back to the other guy, never good. Obviously, one of the bigger stories in the region, of course, today was the announcement by UNH coach Sean McDonald this morning that starting quarterback Mac Brosmer, uh, Max Brosmer, rather, out of Georgia, tore his ACL. That's a big blow to the Wildcats. Obviously, they have a lot of talent back, they're a team that. While they may not necessarily be considered an upper echelon team in the CAA, they're a team that certainly could be a factor. There's there's some legit talent there. Local product, Brett Edwards out of Central Catholic, is now the quarterback. When you look at this team and you look at what they have back, is this a team that even if they don't win the CAA, is this a playoff team? I think the talent is there that they can be an FCS at large playoff team. Yeah, so, I
1: agree. Um my whole thing is they only got to play one game in the sprint, um, So they haven't, they've had a ton of time off. Um, now look, they, they had, you know, media availability today and, and they said all the right things and, you know, they're rallying around um, really rallying just as a team. And, um, but again, you have that much time off. There's going to be some rust there. That has to be. Um, they're playing this Thursday against Stony Brook and are they a playoff team talent wise? Yes. But how long does it take them to, you know, catch up to the other teams that, that had multiple games in the spring? So uh, I'm curious to see how fast or how slow they start.
2: Yeah, I think they have the talent to make the playoffs. It's, it's a good group. I mean, the, um, I think a lot of it's going to come down to Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've, I, he played a little bit in their game against Holy Cross, I think, 2019. And um, the thing I like about Edwards – is he can throw, but he can also run the ball pretty well. He's a good athlete. He played, I think, he ran a lot of track at uh, Central Catholic back when he was still there. Um, he's got a good arm. He wasn't entirely accurate in the game I saw, um, and that's going to be something that has to be there. But I think as a as a quarterback, you get an athlete back there. Things break down. He makes plays. He's um, he's an interesting player. So I think. If he has the kind of year that he can, then the team is definitely talented enough to make the playoffs.
0: And, of course, uh, Merrimack opens this weekend as well. They're going to host Division II St. Anselm, so it's going to be a border war between the uh, Hawks and the Warriors. Expectations are high for Merrimack. I mean, they've been competitive since they've joined the NEC. Got a lot of talent back, most notably cornerback Darian McKenzie, a kid who uh, was on the senior bowl watch list. Uh, they have one of the best receivers in the NEC, and Anthony Norcia, an Everett kid. Uh, so th- this is a program that is on the rise in in theory. I hate saying that. I mean, you know, they should take care of business this week and beat St. A's, but once upon a time, they both played in the NE10. So, you know, St. A's will be motivated to prove that just because you're a D1 program doesn't mean we still can't play with you. That'll be a good game as well. Now, LeBron and Harvard do not open up this weekend. They open up down the road in a couple weeks. Uh, But we'll get into the Crimson and the Bears as well. And again, folks, we really, you know, one of the things that we take pride in is covering the Patriots, D1 football, high school football, and our long-term goal is to cover high school football throughout the region, not just Massachusetts. That's our primary focus right now. But as we continue to grow, obviously, we will look to expand there. All right. Wrapping up the show here, let's do a quick over-under with all of these D1 college programs in our area, and I want to talk about wins, plain and simple. So let's start with the Eagles. I'm going to give you the number, and then you're going to tell me over or under. I'm going to set the number for the Boston College Eagles in terms of wins this year at
2: 8. Over or under? Stone, go. Over. I'm going, to over. Say, I'm, going to say, I'm going to say push at 8. They're
0: going to win 8 games. I'm going to say 8-2. Uh, I, I think, look, the schedule sets up for them to win more than than eight, but I think a lot of it is they're going to get off to a good start. What they do in the middle part of that schedule I think is going to be the key. But but I think eight is a realistic number, and and if they win more than eight, then I think that's a tremendous year for them. That's going to end up probably leading them to playing in a, in a quality middle-tier bowl, which I think this program desperately needs. All right, UMass, I'm going to set the number at three. Do they win three
2: or more games or and they win under three games, Adam. Again, I think you nailed it with the line. I'm going to say three. They're going to win three games. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's about time for them to have a little bit more success than they've had in the, the past few years.
1: Yeah, I got two. I said it earlier, I messed up. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I know. You know follow the script <laughs> next time stone for, for the love of Hades. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I, I think to me three is a, a, an accurate number. I mean, look, that their schedule has three winnable games on it. Yeah. And if, if they're as improved as we think they are, then they should be able to win at least three games. And I I don't see more than three, but you never know. But I think three is a reasonable number. Uh, flying through this real quick, URI, I'm setting that number at six. Do you think the Rams win six or more? They went under six. Stone, go. Under. I got them at four. At four. Interesting. Adam? I might have to say under two, five. Really? We'll yeah, we'll I'm see. I'm bullish. I'm bullish on Coach Flem and the boys. I, I, I'm i pushing it here, though. I, I think that they can win five. I think that they can win five. It wouldn't surprise me if they win six. Heck, it wouldn't surprise me if they won more than that and were an FCS playoff team. I mean, I think this team is talented. It's going to come down to them coming together. Patrick Murphy, offensive coordinator, Massachusetts guy, I think he's going to have that offense humming. I like the Rams this year. I'm bullish on them. Uh, real quick. Uh, holy cross, they win eight is over under is eight. They win eight or more or under eight. Stone go over
1: 11.
2: Whoa, all right. I'd love to, uh, I love the enthusiasm, I'm gonna go with seven. Under seven. okay, I'm gonna go with eight. I'm going, I, 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 to me, I
0: think this is a program that it's gonna win the Patriot League again, and I think. We'll get into the FCS playoffs, and, you know, they could steal They could steal a first-round win. I mean, that's kind of the goal here, right? They haven't been able to do that up until this point. They might be able to do that this year. They certainly have enough talent to compete. Uh, UNH, I'm going to set the over-under at six. Do they win six or more or under six? Adam, go. Seven. Seven. Oh, five. Just under. I got him at five. I got him at six. I, I like this team. I like what they have. It's going to come down, as Adam said, Brett Edwards. If he steps in for Max Brosmer and he does a good job at quarterback, I think that they're a team that will be in the mix to potentially be in an at-large FCS playoff team. But uh, I think a lot has to break their way. Maine, I'm setting the over-under at six. Do the Black Bears win six or more? Or under six. I mean,
2: I don't gamble, so I suck at this. So just go with it. <laughs> I think I'll go with six
0: as well. I think that's a good number. Yeah, I but, go, I'm going, sorry, I'm going under. I'm going four. And it's not that complicated, by the way. I'm being a total oh. doofus. Anyway, in UConn, I'm going to set the over under at three. Do the Huskies win three? I, <laughs> after Saturday, I, I, I don't have a lot of faith. One. One. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going under three as well. I, I, th- I think it's a mess. I think it's a mess there, and I, and I think it's, uh, yeah. it's not good, and I think a coaching change would certainly help. Uh, no, no, it's not that I'm not a Randy Alto guy, but like you said, Adam, you can't keep going back to the other guy. Merrimack, uh, I'm setting the over-under at four. Do the Warriors win more than four? Under,
2: three. Three, Adam? I don't know. I'm struggling. I'd probably say I'll, I'll be optimistic and say they win five. Five. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go with over. Why not? I think Coach Curran's done a great job recruiting there. They've got some some serious talent. I, I, I think they've done a nice job. And finally, Bryant. I'm setting the over under at five do the Bulldogs win. More than five or less than five. Stone, go.
1: I got them over. I got them at either seven or eight. Really? Yeah. Go with, yeah. A- You're a- bullish
0: a- on the Bulldogs.
1: Yeah. yeah. I might go with six.
0: Yeah, I, you know, Chris Merritt, they like what they have there. They like it, you know, and, and Daniel Boye. I always mess up his name. I think he's one of the best backs in the NEC. Uh, I think he's primed for a big year. Um, I think it all depends on what they what happens at quarterback. I think if they can get consistent quarterback play from McClarkin Clark kid, I think they're going to be pretty good. They've got some good perimeter skill. Um, they got a lot back. Coach Barisi on defense does a great job. There's a defensive coordinator. I think he can get that defense going, formerly of Holy Cross. Uh, I I think that the Bulldogs are a team that could surprise a little bit in the NEC. They played pretty well in the spring and and I would not be surprised if they won more than five. I got them over uh, that number. Uh, Did we miss anyone? Again, we're going to hold off on uh, Brown, Harvard, and Dartmouth. Of course, we can't forget about our friends in the woods up there. Um, But I think we pretty much got everybody else. I, I, I don't think we missed anyone in terms of the D1 programs, but all right, well, that'll do it for this week's episode. As always, uh, we want to say thanks for tuning in and, uh, and and watching, and we encourage your participation, so feel free to participate. We're live on Facebook and Twitter. Jump on, share your thoughts, ask questions, whatever you want to do. We're all football all the time. Uh, the next time we will see you is next Monday. Now, next week we do start our fall programming, which will be New England football show on Mondays. Thursday nights will be the uh, high school preview show with me and Adam Kirkchin. And then we're going to have the game of the week show following that on Thursday. So that'll be eight and nine o'clock. And then we'll also have our Patriots post game show and our Boston College post game show after home games. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.